Amen, amen. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Do we have another? Is there someone else with the scripture or prayer? Hi, 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 good. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Is there another? Is there another? Hallelujah. We thank God for Jesus. Amen. 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 I want to share with you a little bit this afternoon, this glorious afternoon, and all that God has created is glorious, isn't it? Um, for many years, I have said, and it, it is the known fact that um, 
When you studied the New Testament, it'd be good if you're conscious of Greek philosophers, particularly those that were popular, well-known in that time. Um, everybody just about, I would suppose, that lived in the New Testament time was to some degree or the other influenced by Greek philosophy um, in their daily lives, in their habits, in their speech, in their practices and customs and definitely in the religious uh, experiences. <clears throat> Many of the, uh, even though Greek philosophy is not necessarily religious, in fact, in most, in many cases, it is really the opposite. Uh, it would be a great insult to the philosophers to equate them with uh, religion. And that also is a factor that comes up in the, in, the, in the Bible, because obviously many of the Greek philosophical teachings were, would be against Christianity, would be against, um, uh, you know, religious beliefs, of course, one of which would be, as I said before, Christianity. But there was some overlapping and definitely there was some rivalry in terms of followers of Greek philosophy or those who dabbed and mixed in both philosophy and religious philosophy, if you want to call it that we do to some extent today, but it's there and it's biblical. And um, I, I wanted to share a little bit of this with us today, based on the theme and the scripture that we have for Faith Baptist Church for this year. If you would turn to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. And um, in the 15th chapter of uh, Corinthians, um, it is clear that Paul is references, referencing to uh, various Greek uh, philosophies. That comes up in other portions also of the Bible, particularly the New Testament. But it is clear that chapter 15, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, seven, eight, and 
maybe even 9 and 10, and some may go down to even 11, but definitely um, that the references, the insinuations is that of the Greek philosophy or derivative of Greek philosophy, which became an, an element and a movement in the Christian church in the early centuries known as Gnosticism, which I'm sure that many of you are familiar with. So he's speaking to the Gnostics there and in many other portions of uh, Paul's writing, uh, the writing of John and others, uh, this element of Gnosticism came up, which as I said, is a derivative to some extent of Greek philosophy. And I'll try to point that out as we go along. As you know, one element of the, or some of the elements of uh, Gnosticism, uh, these people practicing Christian Gnosticism, if you want to call it that, um, uh, didn't really believe that Jesus um, was actually a human being, that he was all spiritual and, and that he didn't really die on the cross and so forth and so on. And that presented a great uh, challenge to Christian orthodoxy because we believe that he suffered and died and for our sins. And um, since he was fully human, yet fully God. Um, but um, the other um, part of the 15th, uh, chapter of um, of First Corinthians that I like to point out to you. And if we look at verses thirty one and thirty two, and what Paul writes. I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. If after the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is this to me if the dead rise not? Let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Uh, it's plain there that he's referring to understanding that comes out of Epicureanism from a philosopher and a school of philosophy of the Epicure from Ep Epicurus and the school was known as Epicureanism. These Epicureans, I will get into it a little bit more, um, had some beliefs and influence. Uh, they were not the only one to some extent. See, 
over the centuries, a lot of these philosophers got a little bit mixed up, but Epicurean was very pointed, very um, enduring, and very influential. And many of the great elements of that uh, Greek philosophy is still with us today, and it's still influencing some great thinkers and have influenced some great thinkers. And many people will be surprised. Um, there are others uh, in verses 36 through 43. He's talking about the Stoics, the Stoics and all that. That was a group, but we still use the word Stoic today. Uh, it's, 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 it's kind of void of feelings to some extent. Uh, but it's a little bit more involved than that. But obviously he's speaking about that there. But let's let's look at Epicurus for a few minutes um, because I think it becomes important to what I want to share with you today. Um, so uh, Epicurus lived, you know, several centuries before before Christ, but this philosophy was very strong uh, during the time of Jesus and obviously during the time of Paul. And um, uh, his philosophy was to supposedly help people to attain happiness. Happiness. And so, the, the way he saw it and, and, and they practices and understood it was to, in a sense, even deny the existence of pain. And, you know, all that you do in life is really based on your happiness and in the long run, nothing else really matters. You can see when Paul talk about, yeah, we eat and drink, enjoy ourselves, and then we die. That's it. That's all there is to life. And you can see how that would fly in the face of Christian teachings. One, the, the, the element, that there's a lot more. There's a lot more to Epicureanism than what I'm stating here. I'm just giving a rough outline just in case uh, people may not be too familiar with it, but I, I'm, sh I'm sure that many of you are very familiar with it. Um, I've studied it in school. I relate to ethics, epistemology, and physics, and of course, theology. Um, when I was first exposed to this, I was a very young man and studying um, Greek and classical Greek and stuff like that. So lots of people have been uh, exposed to this, you know, for, for a, a long time in their lives. So I'm probably not saying anything new, but I wanted to, to share the part about empirical, empirical, 
meaning that you believe that the senses are the only reliable source of knowledge. It's only the things that you can see and that you can touch and that you can feel that really is true, that really matters. So you see how that contradicts or definitely opposes how we understand the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, for instance, I, I, I use here as a, as, as a great example. So you can see where Paul would be very concerned with um, that kind of teaching, uh, influencing church folk, uh, followers of Christ, uh, because it's hard to be a Christian and deny the existence of God, the Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, in the spiritual form. And so I wanted to go back, therefore, to what our theme speaks about. That's third John, the second verse. Third John, the second verse, as you know, is beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospered. And last week, I think it was, we share how the relationship, the affinity between soul and spirit. He wished that he would prosper in his physical health as his spiritual health would prosper. So you see that uh, John, when he was writing this, as you know, was under great pressure from the Judaizers, people would have Christianity be just a subset of Judaism, not a not standing its own. And um, others who followed Greek philosophy all their lives, now they have become followers of Christ and they're struggling with this spirit and uh, this empirical understanding that comes out of some Greek philosophies uh, that, well, you know, nothing is real unless you can see it and touch it and feel it and so forth and so on. I think that's important to us even today. It's always going to be important to us. Because it's not just only our concept and our understanding of who we are in Christ that is important for us to identify the spiritual aspect of following Jesus, which undergirds our belief system as Christian, but without the spiritual aspect of what we 
understand our connection to God and to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, uh, there's nothing that anchors us. You know, we talk about this being power hour. The insinuation when we say power, we're not insinuating that we're physically more strong, although that might be a result of our spiritual sense, and that fits into the theme that we have for the year based on, you know, the scripture that we have chosen uh, and I just read to you as a theme for the year. But we know, we know that when we talk, for instance, about power, that we're not exclusively and not necessarily talking about our physical strength, but um, predominantly talking about our spiritual strength, our spiritual power. There's a lot of insinuation that comes along with those who were dabbling in Greek philosophy and trying to twist Christianity to fit their understanding. There's a, there's a lot going on. And part of it is that, you know, if you don't, if we, if, if, if we, if they didn't recognize the spiritual power of the Holy Spirit, then how would they be able to accept the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and even our death and resurrection and our afterlife? You could see where that would really present a problem to John and his teaching and the teachings of many of the other evangelists of the word of Jesus Christ. And so it is today as we call, and this has been preached for many, many, many years and written about for many, many years, as we get caught up in materialism and more and more advances in science. And the crazy thing about that, we don't even know to what extent we have advanced. We may be just still crawling in infancy of science. And there may be so much out there that we don't know, we don't understand. Many people are willing to accept that, but yet at the same time, there was this tendency because we have uh, succeeded in utilizing and understanding uh, things that we could see and we can touch, uh, that sometimes we discount the spiritual aspect of who we are, particularly if we are Christians and we believe in the connection and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, it should make us be more thoughtful, and many of us are, that the more we know, the more that we, we realize, and the more we know that we don't know. And it should, one would expect, that this would draw us closer 
<coughs> to a spiritual understanding of our own existence and how that relates to God. So in summarizing a little bit, I'd like to leave with us today is that we thank God with so many people who remain so strong in their spirit. This morning I shared in the church a little bit about how important it was. Uh, Moses, when he was all disgusted, dejected, um, depressed, in chapter 33, wanted to get another burning bush experience. And God told him, no, you, you got it already. Um, Elijah in his dejection and as he ran to that cave running from Jezebel to the same place, the same growth that I've said there so many times, where the power of the Holy Spirit was revealed to him. It wasn't in, in dwelling yet. I'm sure he didn't quite understand it. We can understand it a lot more better today because the Holy Spirit has, it's indwelling in us. But the elements that God portrayed to Moses and the bush burning, but not being consumed. And we represent symbolically in the church today, the Holy Spirit as being red fire and 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 Elijah in in that cliff in the cliff of that mountain the rock yeah you know he there's fire there's earthquake there was this rushing wind but it spoke nothing to Elijah, it wasn't in dwelling. But look at us today with the wonderful experience that we have had from the day of Pentecost. As I said this morning, there came the earthquake. Jesus was crucified. And then as he asked them to wait for the Holy Spirit, he came with Forks of fire, a Russian wind. And it spoke to them in this way as they spoke in tongues. It's more than they're speaking in tongues, is that God revealed himself in ways that are empirical, in ways that we can feel and we can touch. And I want to encourage people, although I don't want to be misunderstood. The Old Testament speaks a lot about God speaking to people. But the New Testament emphasizes more of God's communicating to people through the Holy Spirit, which, which Jesus said would, he would come as a counselor, 
someone to advise us, direct us. So we have a direct connection with God in a way, and I just used two examples, Elijah and, you know, uh, Moses, uh, that they didn't have before because of now a more definite relationship, but it's still not empirical in the sense that we don't see the Holy Spirit. We don't necessarily touch the Holy Spirit, but we understand the power of that which is not seen, that which communicate to us in ways that we can actually hear it speak into our spirit. We can feel it through our spirit. We can understand it through our spirit. The iron of the whole thing for Epicurus that he was right in the wrong way. In other words, it is empirical in this sense that God makes a solid connection to us but it's not the way of Epicurus and others may see it. God is still powerful in our lives, still close to us as anything can ever be, still very, very much a part of us, even though we can't see him and touch him, but now we have the Holy Spirit that gives us this very powerful sense and meaningful sense of connection. And that's what I wanted to share with us this afternoon.